Welcome to Adventurous Investor in Conversation. Um, and I'm delighted to have with me Gabby Herculano from iClimber. Now, if you've not heard of iClimber, you should do, because they are a fascinating green fintech. Uh, I first encountered them via Han ETF. They've got some uh, very interesting ETFs, exchange-traded funds, that they work with uh, Hector McNeil at Han ETF. Um, including, uh, Gabby will tell me, correct me if I'm wrong, the world's first distributed, is it distributed power ETF? Yeah, distributed renewable energy ETF. That's yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. So we'll, we'll cover, we'll come and talk a bit about that in a minute. Um, so, uh, Gabby's been in the, in the whole business of kind of sustainable finance for many years now, uh, but belying, belying her age. So she's definitely been around for a long time in the sustainable energy field. And, that, and 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 I think what's quite unique, and this is what how we're going to play this conversation, is uh, Gabby and I, Climber, have got a very big picture perspective, so they can talk about lots and lots and lots of things. And I thought that rather than dwell on one particular thing, I do a kind of quick fire session, Gabby, with you. Where I'm going to ask you to give me your opinion from an investor point of view about a bunch of interesting topics that are all bound up within the sustainability revolution. So. I thought I may as well kick off with um, let's why don't we kick off actually with that distributed power and energy and renewable energy area. Now, for full disclosure, I am also a director in Gresham House Energy Storage, which is a big uh, grid scale battery company. So it's something I know a fair bit about and write a bit about. But Gabby, do you think that this distributed power thing is the next big thing? I do, David. And first of all, thank you so much for having me today. Really appreciate the opportunity to share our thoughts and research. We do. We have conviction. We we launched this index and then therefore the ETF with Han and, and the Hector's team um, way before the invasion of Ukraine um, because we see two things. The energy transition is absolutely inevitable, but we never expected it to be orderly. So that means that um, volatility in fossil fuel prices as the dance between supply and demand unfolds was going to create a lot of problems to to all of us, the users of electricity. So, So this is the trilemma that we've been talking a lot about with investors. How do you decarbonize, number one? Number two, while you are um, um, guaranteeing security of supply, number two, and number three, affordable prices so that's the dilemma all right it's kind of like that small blanket you're going to have one but not not the others so so that means that what is it that users can do in the short term while you can embrace energy efficiency and you can do things that we have not been able to do before which means produce electricity at the point of consumption the technical term is behind the meter so here, is, here we are because in the last uh, uh, 10 years, solar panel prices and battery prices have come down by about 80% to 90%. And the convergence of these two technologies, solar and batteries, they're, they're not fuel, they are technologies, and we become better the more that we produce them. Um, there's a lot of research on that. And despite the, the, the headwinds on the commodity volatility and and inflation prices, we've been in that empirical evidence is so abundant on that deflationary curve. 
So, so it's a story of many Ds. Um, it's a digital solution that decarbonizes, is very decentralized, which means it's very democratic, democratic, um, and therefore very disruptive because this dated, centralized fossil fuel grid that we have, um, it's not efficient. Um, it's if you look at the physics of it, it's called rejected energy. Sixty-seven percent of all the energy content in in fossil fuel. It's wasted um, as you burn it to spin um, turbines, as you go through the transmission, and then the heat um, waste in um, when you when you switch on your your light bulb. So it's a very inefficient process that uh, was bound to be disrupted and, and re recreated. But here we are. You need to have the economic benefit and, um, and the impetus to to do something very difficult. So that's what this energy crisis is doing, is making the solutions very price competitive and is making um, um, jurisdictions across the planet, EU as a bloc, China, India, Australia, Brazil, where I'm originally from, and now the US with the um, um, IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, embracing these, which are the only short-term solutions to this energy crisis. The 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 behind the meter solutions, the stationary batteries, the solar rooftops, smart meters, smart thermostats, insulation. Um, and that's exactly the um, the solutions that we represent in this super unique uh, ETF. OK, next up, I suppose, and it kind of a linked thought is carbon markets, really. Um, some of the technologies that we need to do the transition um, are will it will require some form of subsidy at the beginning. Um, and, and therefore, carbon markets are particularly relevant. And we'll come back to, for instance, food tech and beef and all that kind of stuff. Um, but you hear a lot of excited talk around carbon markets. There's there's a there's a price EUA or the European European ETS scheme, which is the price of carbon. Um, there are there are regional groupings in America who set a carbon price. The Chinese are setting a carbon price, and and hopefully a lot of these this carbon pricing will act to both disincentivize heavy energy usage and incentivize um, radical or new technologies. I suppose the question, though, is they're still quite small scale. Um, I think the, the, the jury's out whether or not that carbon pricing is really moving the dial. And there are some kind of voluntary carbon offset markets out there. You know, you take a plane journey, you can offset your plane journey, which rely on kind of private sector solutions uh, to uh, this market. Do you see carbon markets ever taking off? That is an excellent question. It's not um, an easy one to to try to figure out. So let me just step back for a second. We've been looking at um, different models, trying to answer the big question. The path to net zero by 2050, what are the key paths? And and we looked at the data from Paul Hawken and his new um, regeneration group. And we think we found some interesting um, answers to that question. There are three paths. First path is the most important path, is the path that we represent with our two ETFs with, with Hans' team, is the path of not emitting in the first place. The idea here is that the best way to reduce carbon in the atmosphere is by not emitting in the first place. So that's the path of technology. That's innovation that moves us away from business as usual high emission. That path is about 47% of, of the way to get to net zero. What is the second most relevant path? Well, 
that's the sequestration path with the only proven technologies that we have, most and foremost, nature-based solutions. So that's yeah. the regeneration aspect yeah. of, of, um, of uh, uh, reforestation and afforestation and conservation. And then there's that um, residual 10%, which is the less harm, right? That's less flaring, less methane, in, um, coal exploration, so on and so forth. So nature is supposed to play a very fundamental role. And then if you think about it from an economic perspective, time value of money, time value of carbon, when can we have that massive impact? That the, the, the science and the carbon accounting is very clear on that. And then return on invested capital and return on carbon is, is very similar. How many dollars do we need to avoid or sequester one ton of CO2? So when you start looking at that, you think that economic intuition means invisible hand will play itself. And then the solutions that make economic sense are the ones that will um, will, will materialize, that we will have a way to find an economic model to make them work. And here's where NBS, nature-based solutions, I think, could become eventually a very exciting asset class. And blockchain is, is part of that because there's a problem of... Um, of transparency in this yeah. in voluntary carbon market offsets, which is where potentially we can move the needle in that path to that carbon neutrality. So, so what is it that is missing, David? To answer your question, are we ever going to get there? I think what we're missing is um, is a, a clear policy uh, on that supply and demand. So you're not supposed to corporations are not supposed to offset their way to carbon. Um, to net zero. Uh, you can claim carbon neutrality with offsets, but not that you have reached net zero. Net zero is supposed to be the hard effort to really look at your scope one, scope two, scope three emissions and do everything that you can to decarbonize all of your of your operations and supply chain. But that's a, um, a debate going on. What if we were to make part of that path a, a specific percentage um, um, that you could claim that um, um, carbon offsets and use those carbon offsets. That's how you create the, the, the corporate demand and then the force supply comes from all these different groups that are looking at very exciting projects across different jurisdictions. Most of them are across the equator because the plants grow so fast. Uh, Brazil could have um, a leading role. Again, I was born and raised in Brazil, um, was there recently this summer, and, and there's a lot of people doing incredible work trying to figure out, again, what is the economic model to make that happen. So we are starting to have the elements. We're starting to have the discussions at the policy level, companies and corporations are interested in, in, in doing that. Um, the solution providers using blockchain, there's a company in Brazil called Moss Earth that is doing something very exciting using blockchain for that um, uh, clear transparency on uh, the use of the offsets and the trading aspects of it. It could potentially become really big. I think we're starting now to have all the elements. What will trigger will be that clear rule legislation that will make the voluntary carbon offset market much bigger than it is right now. Okay. Let's, let's talk about two more intractable issues. Um, digital infrastructure. Um, this has come actually into the news much more in the last couple of weeks. Uh, the FT ran a story about 
all the digital infrastructure data centers out in West London, Slough, that basically you couldn't get any more electricity connections because they can't basically connect enough <laughs> can't connect enough points because the big data centers use so much power. You know, they're gobbling up power. And you talk to the digital infrastructure companies, particularly the data center companies, and they realize the problem, which is why a couple of them are buying into uh, data centers uh, up in Iceland or up in Finland, where, you know, there's a lot more renewable power. How do we decarbonize digital infrastructure? And it's important, this question, because we're going to use a lot more digital data. Sorry, data. We're going to use a hell of a lot more of it. That isn't going to go down. And yet running massive buildings full of computers is energy intensive. Can we crack the digital infrastructure nut? I think we can, and I think it, that's how other industries that are very energy intensive are going to unfold. That's how we're going to solve other problems, splitting the water molecule to, to create hydrogen. And, um, and, and the base of all of that, it goes back to that key technology, the solar panels uh, that have been much more deflationary than, than wind. So you need to look at the key jurisdictions, and that's when this idea that um, solar is a very interesting technology and also very democratic. You give a chance for um, countries that have very good insulation, uh, um, sorry, very good irradiation uh, levels, con uh, countries in, in Latin America, in Africa, in Southeast Asia, give them an edge. Chile could become a, a, a power um, a force in the hydrogen um, space because they have a lot of Wind resources in, in um, the Atacama Desert in the north could be uh, covered in solar panels. So utility scale um, could be really, really big. So, so I think that that's the way you have to anticipate where, where these, um, these, these uh, projects could be developed. Look for the jurisdictions where, where you have very favorable legislation and, and start to, to plan accordingly. And that, that changes things in a very material way. There's a lot of people talking about deglobalization. We don't see deglobalization as the world less connected. We see massive industries coming to a, through a, a decentralization process. Distributed energy is, is quintessential, uh, uh, the story of decentralizing the grid. Um, data centers, I think they'll, they'll also become more decentralized. Um, there are other industries, uh, agriculture and, and, and food being, being another one. Um, and as we bring more and more of that local solar or the distributed utility scale um, renewable sources into the mix and we embrace them, um, that's, I think, where we're going to see um, a, a lateral thinking, if you will, to solve yeah, that yeah. problem of, of incredible um, energy intensive industries. Talking of energy-intensive industries, there's a lot of heavy industry, chemicals, steel, which, and even to a lesser degree, shipping, I suppose, aircraft um, to a lesser degree, but particularly heavy industry, particularly um, the chemical industry, the refinery industry, the steel industry. Can they ever decarbonize? Well, I'll add some more to that mix, right? Cement, fertilizer. Yeah, cement, yeah. Those are industries that we we have um, in the next last um, 50, 60 years started to produce obscene amount of. And China, uh, in, a, in a very material way, becoming a gigantic producer and consumer of cement um, in, as the country urbanizes and fertilizers. And that's how we can um, feed a billion mouths, right? With, yeah. With, yeah. With, uh, 
fertilizers that come from natural gas. So fossil fuel is is at the at the foundation of of many of our industries. And that's that's we need to start with the low hanging fruit, and the low hanging fruit is electricity. Is 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 replacing and decommissioning all the coal fire power plants and then the natural gas fire power plants. And then we start to look at heating and then we start to look at um, these other industries because we need that cost curve. We need to enable um, the hydrogen, which is a bit of a, like a Swiss army knife is, is, is a, a tool that is going to help us decarbonize many of these hard to abate industries. But for that to happen and for us to split the water molecule, we, we need not just the electrolyzers to go down in price. And again, it's the technology. So we do get better the more that we produce. But we also need to continue to be on that um, deflationary curve for, for, for the solar panels so that the electricity um, prices become uh, much more um, um, affordable. And then with that, we can decarbonize other industries again through hydrogen. I think hydrogen is going to be a bit of that holy grail. Um, but we, we have to change the approach. And as it becomes solar becomes abundantly clear, the, the winner and the key strategy here, we will see ourselves in that positive spiral that the more solar panels we produce, the more prices will come down and we're going to have a, a grid that is fundamentally different. We're going to size um, our install capacity for the winter. And then in the summer, right, we've, 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 we're used to seasonality. That's here we are, right. Trying to store natural gas a little bit that, you know, as much as we can um, to, to, to weather the storm in, in the winter, that is going to be a very tricky and difficult one for Europe. Um, we're used to that seasonality. So we're going to do the same size, your renewable energy capacity for the winter and then have that excess electricity that will go towards a zero marginal cost in the summer to do many things like splitting the water molecule and create hydrogen that then you can use for fertilizers, uh, for steel, um, and these uh, the heavy um, transportation solutions. That takes more time, no doubt. That takes more time and it takes, uh, it takes uh, 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 a lot of um, R&D uh, for, 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 for the key technologies to, to become better and better. And this is capitalism at its best. You give an economic... Uh, uh, yeah. Incentive for for companies to to take risks and to and to put capital to to play and for whole supply chains to unfold. Uh, I think that the hydrogen has already emerged as the as the solution as the Swiss Army right. knife that will allow us to um, to decarbonize very difficult industries. Uh, just sticking with the difficult industries. Uh, topic for the last question in uh, for this section uh beef r.i.p is it is it basically is beef doomed are are beef farmers and and livestock farmers going to be run out of business over the next 20 30 years well i think um tony seba at rethink x would say yes with precision fermentation which sounds very much like sci-fi being being the the answer um so plant-based diet um, we've done some analysis uh, for the last COP uh, in Glasgow, where I was asked to present some numbers, is not the solution that is going to move the needle. Um, so you really need that price um, angle. You really need to see a new technology that would be 
a fraction of the existing cost. That's the famous 10x. Um, yeah, yeah. That that changes everything. And and plant based diet is a bit of a marginal solution. It helps. It helps. It helps on the consumer side. And consumer behavior is is so important. As we're seeing with solar rooftops, we're elevating the consumer. They are the decision makers that embrace right the solution and and decide to adopt them. Um, same thing with with plant based diet, and the, and that triggers the consumer preference that triggers um, a different uh, set of behaviors and creates more of a demand. But I think that for that massive transformation that would really um, disrupt a lot of big companies, again, in my my home country, Brazil, um, we need that precision fermentation that it's, there's a couple of listed companies um, in the space, really interesting one, pre-revenue companies. So not names that we are currently representing. We don't represent pre-revenue companies. Um, but there's some interesting, again, capitalism at its best, entrepreneurs trying to solve that exact question. We need to prove that it can be scaled up. We need to prove that it could become really, really big and that we can get to that 10x price point where then it becomes such a no-brainer. Uh, it, we hope we hope that it will unfold that way. Um, we're going to have 9 billion mouths to feed um, very soon. And that will be a, a very important aspect of that the decarbonization path. So uh, watch out for hydrogen, watch out for precision fermentation. A couple of last questions. Uh, let's just look at two sectors, which is probably close to both our hearts. First of all, uh, battery scale um, grid connections. So, you know, storage and energy storage. We've already mentioned that with distributed um, power. Uh, are you effectively very bullish on the whole battery market over the next 10, 20 years? What, 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 are, what might the headwinds be? Uh, way before, David, way before, because here, here, here we have the game changer, Germany. Germany has all the incentive to, of course, solve their, their, their big trilemma, um, in the near future. And in here we see Germany bringing forward 15 years of energy transition. Their target to have a grid that was 100% green was 2050. And now the target is 2035. But before you get there, you're not going to be able to get to a 100% renewable grid without long-duration energy storage. Yeah. And you have to have that long-duration energy storage way before you get to that 100% point is, yeah. a, is a prerequisite. Um, so we think Germany is going to get to a 70% grid, renewable-based grid, um, about 2025, 2026. We're right. starting to see that massive acceleration, uh, potentially 10 gigawatts of renewable being added to the grid in the next 12 months. That's the acceleration that we were hoping for. So, so again, this is infrastructure. This is utility scale that we're talking about. It takes time uh, to permit. It takes time to to develop and, and put the solutions in place. So that's 2025, 26, which means that really long duration energy storage being top of mind, and that obvious companies that are going to um, to play a massive um, um, uh, role in developing that market. Um, will become very visible in the next uh, two years. So, uh, yeah, long-duration energy storage is is a key solution. is somewhat long-term, but the the key first milestones will have to be in place in the next two years. And what about uh, electric charging infrastructure? Well, uh, this is sort of permeated through to the consumers, as you've pointed out. It's a question of consumer choice. And, and it's, it's sort of permeated through slightly the wrong way, which is people complain that, they can't get to an electric charging point easily enough, um, certainly in the UK. Um, 
Will the electric charging infrastructure catch up enough? And when do you think? I, I tell you, I'll ask a more directed question actually to you. When do you think we will see electric cars? Because if you don't have an electric charging infrastructure in place, this won't happen. When do you think electric cars will be the majority of all all new car sales in the UK? Um, well, I think UK and Europe are, 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 are currently leading. Our forecast, which we thought was ambitious, um, again, numbers that we put together for, for the last COP in Glasgow, um, November last year, we thought were aggressive. And now we're like, mm, it's time to revise them. Um, we were forecasting 50 million um, out of 90 passenger vehicles uh, being sold in 2030 being electric. So, so 2030, predominantly, you know, 50 out of 90, you're already there. Um, what we are seeing again is this demand destruction that fossil fuel is creating. Um, is is this is one of the most exciting uh, uh, things to be doing research on, without a shadow of a doubt. This conundrum, right? This coexistence of green growth and brown value, the coexistence of the old and the new. Best thing for fossil fuel, high prices of fossil fuel are high price fossil fuel because of that demand destruction. So we are seeing, again, even more acceleration. That was before um, the Inflation Reduction Act being put in place in the U.S. of of, um, consumers, again, elevating consumers to a very important role in that decarbonization process, looking beyond just the sticker price looking through the um, maintenance costs and, of course, making that comparison between pumping um, with uh, gasoline at $6 a gallon um, in California, which is incredibly expensive, versus charging them, um, you know, at home, especially with um, those that already have solar rooftops, um, the most impactful uh, way to do that. Um so, so then, so then it makes again it makes economic. Uh, uh, um, it's a very rational thing to do. It makes economic sense to do so. So then we accelerate that um, acquisition of electric vehicles, and that's when um, there's a lot of listed companies. We 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 look most and foremost at the uh, listed space that are charging net- network companies. They have changed their business model. They used to have that uh, be paid for uh, when you're used uh, kind of utilization yeah. rate model. And now they're moving towards a um, let me be paid because I exist, kind of like an insurance, um, a membership type of fee. Um, so that takes uh, takes a little bit of the risk from 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 the perspective of, of the companies. Um, and they're embracing, there's a very exciting um, field of... Uh, um, aggregation of all these assets, uh, yeah. the same way that Uber and um, and Airbnb gave homeowners and car owners an ability to do two things: optimize and monetize those assets. Yeah. That's what we expect to see with the batteries inside the electric vehicles. That's called vehicle to grid. Um, so it's the aggregation of all of these assets, and 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 again, Airbnb and, and Uber uh, came to become you know big global players in in a few years because that aggregation is is not so capital intensive the assets don't belong to you and that will change everything so 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 david to crack the code on on the charging network is going to take uh, a lot of different aspects um to it you have the companies um that are providing that service you have the um 
the 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 users uh, not only replacing internal combustion engine with electric vehicles, but also um, adding all those other solutions like the solar rooftop to bring that cost of ownership to yet a lower level. So all the elements are there. And as we continue to have all this volatility and we expect to continue to have very high fossil fuel prices, the momentum will continue. So that's tailwinds. Headwinds, well, that is interest rates going up because yeah. most of these assets are long-term assets and they're financed. So that's that's where we really see the headwind. Unfortunately, it is the case. As inflation goes up, interest rate goes up, um, and the um, financing costs of all these uh, long um, um, useful life um, equipment becomes more expensive. So unfortunately, that is the case. One last question, Gary. If I had to ask you for three things that will make a difference to getting cutting commissions by 2030, what are the three big things that will make a big difference? That is, uh, I think, without a shadow of a doubt, is long duration energy storage. That's how we can um, get the grids to become 100% green. So that is taking solar and wind to that last mile, that that super um, uh, uh, deep uh, adoption level. That is one. This distributed energy is is another one where we with digital solutions, um, decentralize the grid, we expect 25% of the 1,000 gigawatts the U.S. should be adding to their grid by 2035 to be solar rooftops, to be behind the meter. So that's massive. That moves the needle in a very material way. Um, and, and, and something that I think it's another of the many fascinating things that are going to happen in the, you know before 2030 is computers... Uh, on wheels, uh, that AKA cars, right? Cars yeah. will become computerized power plant on wheels because of those batteries and because of autonomous uh, um, um, technology. So the robo taxis, uh, a completely new concept is going to emerge. We think 2024, 2025, we could have uh, level five um, uh, autonomous cars in, 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 in the US to begin with. And that changes everything. Our concept of internal combustion engines, the cars that sit idle 90, 95% of the time, um, really being not very sustainable. We're changing that concept completely. We're going to share that car. And that car will be uh, used by many families and will be a much higher utilization rate. Again, prices, of course, therefore go down and they will be used to the benefit of the greed. So we're going to use the ever-increasing uh, size and, and, and batteries that are mobile batteries, um, again, in that vehicle-to-grid uh, concept. And, and that is massive, and that changes everything. Um, for example, it changes real estate. 20% of yeah. all the real estate in the U.S. is used to park cars. That's yeah. the idle for so long. So all of that real estate will be able to be used for much more interesting, sustainable things. Again, decentralizing food. We're going to be able to see all these vertical farmings, you know, popping up at um, at places that before were used to just park cars. Um, so I think, David, we, we, we see all the elements and we do think that these technologies are converging. Um, solar and batteries 
bringing prices down in a deflationary way. So we will have inflation for the next two years, um, no doubt. But uh, that coexistence, therefore, will be there and people will be very tempted to invest, trying to um, to 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 go for that, you know, brown value trap. Um, but there are a lot of risks risks with that strategy, and I think that um, there's a lot of very exciting opportunities on the green side of things that would no doubt be the winners. Um, and 2030 could be a fundamentally different place where we have all these elements, um, things that we didn't talk about in the, in this conversation today, but um, recycling rates and um, recycled. Um, uh, plastics becoming much more price competitive than virgin plastics, for example. Um, so we, we we bend our linear economy and make that a circular economy, shared economy being embraced in a very material way. Again, new concepts that are much more sustainable, better for your pocket, better for the planet. Um, and a lot of exciting companies bringing these these um, these concepts to to market. Um, so, so it's it's a very exciting um, uh, times for investors. Um, that whole thing that I just described, we refer to that as a green swan, deeply discounted in the markets right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, a lot of investors really interested in that um, additional uh, operating cash flow that fossil fuel is generating these days. Uh, but that strategy is, is so risky. That's interesting. And um, I, I think the most important thing, which I definitely agree with you on there, uh, Gabby, is the idea that the, re- the eye-popping record prices on hydrocarbons is the final nail in the coffin. It, it's the acceleration of all of these trends that are out there. So I agree with you. I, I, I personally think that the, the, the hydrocarbon economies and nations are basically digging their own grave at the rate they're going uh, because they're destroying demand long-term for a lot of their, their products. And I suspect that people like MBS in Saudi Arabia know perfectly well, which is why they're trying to pivot quite aggressively to renewable energy. Anyway, Gabby, fascinating talking to you. That's Gabby Herculano from iClima. Uh, definitely check out their research, very impressive research, and their indices and their ETFs. Thank you, Gabby. Thank you, David. A real pleasure talking to you today. Thank you again. Thank you.